Hello and welcome. One out, nobody on. The playoffs to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three called. To the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Welcome to Autobot Episode 3. Uh, my name is Justin Vibber. Once again, I'm joined tonight by Chad Young and Niv Shaw. Um, we are going to be discussing some listener questions. We, we went out and asked those of you that have been listening to submit some questions to us. So we are going to go through some of those tonight. Um, the first question, and I don't know, Niv, if you're going to be able to or comfortable answering this, but... Um, Miguel on the Audinu Slack was curious if there's any new updates, any new Audinu features or updates that uh, that you wanted to talk about. Um, anything maybe on the horizon or anything that you just implemented for this season? Yeah, um, I mentioned a couple of them in the first episode, I believe, and I don't want to, you know, belabor any points. I know a lot of you guys are excited for the stuff they've already mentioned. Uh, the main thing I'm working on now is making sure that AutoBench is uh, ready for the regular season. So AutoBench is going to be a day-by-day -day option for daily lineup leagues, uh, which allows you to enable it or disable it for that day and going forward. And if you've enabled it, uh, players who are benched in Major League Baseball, like aren't starting for their team, uh, will be removed at lock time from your lineup. So they won't be removed for future games, so it won't mess up um, if you set lineups in the future, but uh, it'll bench at runtime so that you are not stuck with a player who uh, may come in for a pinch hit or a pinch run and rather than get the full set of at-bats. I know that's really important in especially season-long points leagues, but having talked to Chad a little about this, I think it'll be valuable in our 4x4 and 5x5 uh, scoring options as well. Um, so that'll be sort of the big uh, platform change this year uh, before the season starts. Now, you know, as we get into it, we just released our player notes uh, feature, which I know people are getting more and more used to and uh, having more and more fun with. So you can take notes on any player in our entire player universe, and you can also take notes on teams in your league. And those will perpetuate uh, through the season so that you can uh, keep an eye on platoon splits, keep an eye on guys on your watch list, uh, or make trade notes uh, from negotiations you're having with players ongoing um, as you play the game. Uh, so that was a that was the other big preseason rollout. And then as we get into the season, um, there will be more and more enhancements. I have... A laundry list of things from the watch list, or sorry, from the wish list on the community forums. That um, you know, it's not super challenging to implement, but just priority-wise, I, I really need to make sure the stuff that's ready on opening day is ready on opening day. But I think you know, search enhancements are one thing that I can think of off the top of my head, where you'll be able to start auctions or add players to your watch list uh, directly from search. Um, I'd also like to. Uh, add a feature where, which has been requested again in the wish list, uh, where you can compare free agents as you search for them against players on your team. So you can do it the free free agent only check, but um, also include the players on your roster. So you can see if there's a better option out there um, as you're looking to for who to start auctions for or whatever. Um, those are the things that come off the top of my top of my head. I know the wish list is pretty. Uh, there's some stuff that's been long standing in there that I'd like to get to and knock out, um, or at least address why I'm not knocking it out. And then I will say, as a tiny teaser, I think there will be uh, some new game modes in 2021 to look forward to. And I hope to have those announced uh, before opening day, but I'm not quite ready to roll them out here 
Um, but there will be some stuff that I would like to at least aspire towards in 2021 that I think will be pretty impactful and allow people to play the game a little bit differently and give people more options uh, when they're setting up their leagues going forward. Sounds good. Uh, one thing I want to just double down here on is Niv mentioned the, the wish list on the community forum. That's um, community.audenew.com. Um, that's there's a, there's an entire section there for wish list requests. Um, that's where anybody that has an idea or a suggestion should go and post it. Look and see if anybody else has already posted it. Um, if they have, then you can sort of add your your opinion to that thread as well. Niv definitely takes community feedback to heart. Um, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to get done, but it, it's helpful to know that multiple people want something rather than just one person. Um, so I strongly encourage anybody that has an idea or sees somebody else's idea idea and, and wants to uh, reinforce that, that that's something that they'd like to see happen as well to, to go on and do that because that's one of the best things about having Niv be so accessible to us as auto new uh, owners and users is that he is able to he's responded to so many of these requests over the years so many of the features we have are because somebody suggested it or because you know he responded to that feedback and and now we have uh, a new feature a new implementation that um, goes a long way and and I just want to double down and say use that definitely go to the community page and uh, check out that section um, the next question we had um, was from Slow Phenom, also on the Autonew Slack group. Um, he had a question about about rebuild strategies. Um, specifically, he mentioned the the sort of the player types that that we like to target when we have a, a rebuilding team. Um, why don't we start with Chad here? If you, I know Chad's got some thoughts on the, on this particular question. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing, even before you start thinking about player types, is uh, I think that there's a lot of people who who want to go through a or think they need to go through a multi-year rebuild. That it's this whole I'm gonna I'm gonna buy guys who are gonna come up in 2022 because we see major league teams do that, right? I mean that's like what the Mariners are going through right now, where they've got a bunch of guys who are who they, they started acquiring a year or two ago who are still another year or so away. Uh, there's no reason to do that. I don't think not or new. In general, I think you can you can rebuild for a year out. Uh, if I decide at some point this year that my teams aren't competing, I'm going to start buying or start selling and, and buying for the future. It's going to be for 2021, not beyond that. And because of that, um, I'm looking at I, I'm ideally actually what I'm looking at is guys who are producing now. Um, so who who could I bring in that? You know, maybe I'm trading away a $60, six and a half point per game outfielder, and I'm getting back a guy who's already producing five and a half points per game, but it's cheaper and it's going to be a better keeper for me. And the team I'm acquiring him from needs the boost now and is willing to give up that future value rather than going off and trying to trade for a prospect who might be two years away. Um, so that, that that's the big thing for me is like, who can I get that I can count on to provide value for me quickly? Yeah, and I think the other key thing, too, is that if you're not competing, you have more flexibility in um, in the types of assets that you can go after. You don't have the pressure to to get somebody who's producing right now. Um, the, other, the other sort of asset class that, that I was thinking of are those players that – they're veterans, but they're underperforming. We, you see that every year where there's guys, whether that's Robinson Cano or, or Matt Carpenter, or the guys that struggle for the first couple months um, and then and then go back to being what everyone thought they were going to be. Um, but over those first two months, owners got impatient. They had a lot of pressure to, to, to try to compete, so maybe they cut their losses. And you can pick some of those guys up after they've been cut. Um, you know, with a minimum bid of 50% of the original – uh, auction value or keeper price um, sometimes you can get a, a pretty good discount on a veteran and if they don't come back if they if they don't end up being uh, as good as you thought they should have been then you're not out anything you know it's just a it's maybe a month or two of you taking up a roster spot but you don't have that pressure to compete so it doesn't hurt you um, to roll the dice and try to find those guys and I think so many owners when they're rebuilding they're so they get it stuck in their head. Well, we got to rebuild. We got to think three years out. We got to think young, 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 young. That's not always the best way to do it. I would focus more on um, 
getting a guy that's going to be worth it next year, and sometimes that is a veteran and not necessarily just just the uh, the young prospects. So the only thing I'd add to that, and I think you know Chad and Justin are, are spot on, uh, especially the way uh, the strategies you guys approach with, which is um, you know just capturing value. Uh, it's it also depends a lot on the league dynamic. I think in our league, Chad, uh, you can back me up on this or refute it if you'd like. But uh, it's useful having double A, triple A prospects that are maybe a year, year and a half out. Uh, from my perspective, I think that's really valuable because those are trade chips that can help you in the off season and help you uh, going forward. And they might be easier to acquire. Um, while you're rebuilding because like justin mentioned you have a lot of flexibility you don't need players who are producing for you right now and you should look at what uh works for trades with other owners in your league because i think there's an opportunity there to uh not only get the upside player but also be able to um make a trade with somebody who's uh looking to unload a contract that is maybe a good one in the off season but uh you know is looking for something that's more like a, a two dollar double a or triple a player yeah i think that also speaks to um your auction strategy as well like if you're going into a season and you know you're rebuilding um niv makes an excellent point that if you understand your league dynamics and you know what kind of assets the other owners are going to go after at auction um, you can zig when the other owners are zagging and know that that maybe you're in a league where they don't value prospects and you know that you can scoop some top 50 guys or top 75 guys uh, for a really good price and that maybe that's that's your path in that particular league with that sort of um, um, dynamic that that is a good idea to then go after those those prospects maybe you're in a league where the opposite is true where prospects go for way more money than than they maybe objectively should and you want to then focus on maybe younger major leaguers and some of those underperforming prospects, the guys coming back from injury, um, because there are many different paths to creating that surplus that could let you retool in, in one season. And, and there are a lot of people, a lot of veteran owners on Audenew who have, have said this multiple times, and I think it, it continues to be true. You don't have to extend a rebuild any longer than a year. You can definitely take one season retool and and be competitive in the very next in the very next year so yeah i think you know one of the more important things about auto new and you know one of the things that actually um can be a little bit misleading when you start playing because it does seem like a, a dynasty format and a deep format and something that you do need to commit multiple years towards a rebuild or multiple years towards your plan um is that the rules in auto new make it pretty difficult to keep um a really good team together between arbitration and um, salary inflation in general. Um, and and also, you know, obviously with the way that loans are structured so that you can't continue paying somebody for a player for multiple years. Um, and it's and the flip side of that is that it's really easy. It's not very punitive if you have a really bad team uh, to be able to really retool through the auction draft and through um, these kinds of in-season pickups that we're talking about, like flipping um, uh, six and a half points for a lot of money now for five and a half points per game and way less money. Like those things are, are incredibly possible and um, available to you. So you shouldn't think that AutoNew is going to be a three-year plan if you don't want it to be. If you want it to be, then fine. I mean, it's nothing better than having a whole class of prospects come up and work out together, but that's a really high-risk plan, and that's a really high-risk strategy to go forward with, and I think the ideas that Justin and Chad mentioned are, you know, I mean, that just, it mitigates the risk, I think, especially what Chad said about trying to get take production now. Okay, our, our next question is actually related somewhat to the, to the one we just had. Um, we can sort of build off of that. But Miguel on the Auto News Slack also had a question about how many prospects, uh, minor league prospects, are you guys stashing in your leagues, um, excluding any leagues that have those add-on five MLIB rosters. But how many prospects um, do, do, do you, Chad, uh, and Niv usually typically try to, to, to own in, in your leagues? 
So, so I don't know that I have a number I'm targeting. I would say I typically end up with anywhere from at the low end one or two to at the high end seven or eight at most. Um, I, I try to think more in terms of useful versus non-useful roster spots. And so like there's a really, really big difference between um, Dylan Carlson as a prospect and Julio Rodriguez as a prospect. Because if I have Dylan Carlson on my roster, maybe I'm not expecting him to help me out, you know, opening day, uh, but I'm not far behind, right? I'm, I'm expecting value from him uh, in a way that I'm not from uh, Rodriguez, who I don't think is going to be up. Certainly not right away. He might be up late this year, but I'm not counting on it by any means. Uh, and, and so that that influences my thinking more. As another example on that, um, I'd recently made a trade in League One where I acquired Jordan Hicks. He's not a prospect, but I'm not expecting much from him this year. And so to me, that's, that's a, a dead roster spot, more or less, much in the same way a guy in AA might be a dead roster spot. So I, I'm looking at it more from that perspective is – do I have everything I need to compete? And if I have everything I need to compete, how, what, what kind of flyers do I want to take? And those flyers might be a Hicks. It might be a guy like Travis Shaw, who is, again, not a prospect, but uh, you can buy him well below his ceiling value because of how bad he was last year. Uh, and I'm basically buying him like a prospect. And then actual prospects on top of that. Well, so, Chad, I'm push back a little bit there because I think um, in our league, uh, there is a lot of trade value to a player um that has that prospect tag on them that i think a travis shaw for example to use your example uh doesn't have that value right like if like who who are we looking at in my in, so when I'm, on my team i have depending on how you define a prospect uh anywhere from five to eight i don't know if mitch keller aj puck or uh Luzardo, i don't know if those guys count as prospects anymore i mean they're all supposed to have major league jobs and be major league contributors this year. I mean, Puck, we'll see. But the other two. Um, but I think when you talk about... I mean, dead roster spots are a good way of thinking about the entire problem, I think, on a whole. But Alec Baum can have the same line as Travis Shaw had last year, and someone in our league will find that. Well, maybe not the same line, but could have a not great line this year and still someone will be like, well, you know, he's going to be the Phillies third baseman for a while. And um, there's upside there and he's shown power in the past. And you can talk yourself into falling in love with, with a player like that. And, and maybe this is, maybe this is going to, you're going to flip it on me and be like, there's a marketing inefficiency there and you might be very well, right. But uh, Travis Shaw isn't going to give you that kind of, uh, he's not a bullet for you to be able to move for somebody to push over the top in our league this year, right? I think it depends a little bit. I mean, Alec Bohm is a is that bullet if he doesn't get called up. Um, if he does get called up, right? That's right. That's I, I actually true. think he's Shaw at that point. He's either going to produce like Shaw did last year, and everyone's going to be like, "Oh, he was never that good. He's not that really a prospect. What a bust!" And his trade value is going to plummet, or he's going to crush and he'll have a ton of trade value or I'll just use him. Right. And right, right. he'll be just a, he'll be a surplus value player. Right. 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 And so I, I think you're right to, to some extent, right. When you buy a prospect, you are buying a, you're, you're buying the, well, let me, the let me, excitement and hype around him as well as him. And like, Sean doesn't give you, have that. Let me give you your own example. Then you said, um, uh, the Mariners, I'm sorry, uh, Julio Rodriguez, right? Like the Justin's in love with them. The, the outfielder on the Mariners, uh, that's, what he's 18 years old he's a couple years away at, at um probably like how do you think of him in terms of because his he doesn't he's not going to come up this year or next year his trade value still remains pretty high because of the upside right yeah i mean i think for him you know i i bought into him last year probably around the same time that justin was was getting all hyped up about him uh you mean, you mean and- after just after 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 yeah maybe um (laughs) but i bought into him then because i looked at a guy who was a prospect a mid you know 50s ish prospect something like that um who i thought had upside to be the number one prospect in baseball and i still think if you fast forward six to 12 months from now there's a very good chance he's the number one prospect in baseball okay but that i i own him in both of my auto new leagues and i'm not expecting value from him this year but 
I do think he's likely to be up next year. I think he could he could escalate that timeline or, or speed up that timeline if he continues to hit the way he did last year going into this season. Um, and so I'm not looking at him as a guy who's like two years away at this point. I think he's year, year and a half away. And I think that his uh, he was a good stock to buy. His price was right. low and it's going to go up. Right, that makes sense. That, so, but at the same time, if you found a partner that valued him similarly to the way you value him, I mean, that's a valuable asset right now that Travis Shaw will never be, right? Or um, because because what the the player you just described um, is a player you can build an outfield around, build a team around, an offense around a little bit, um, or at least an outfield around, and uh, you know Travis Shaw is what he is, and if he isn't what he is. Um, you know, you're, you're going to have more skepticism just on the age alone, right? I, 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 yeah, I think that's absolutely true. And I think you, the argument that you're making sort of touches on something that I think is key to understand is that you, there's a dynamic, there's a balance between owning guys and it, for the purposes of using them as future uh, performance and future potential and owning guys with the idea that they're bullets that you're firing to to make moves in the future um and i I think that you want to have enough prospects on your team that you can leverage them to get better um either later in the year or in the off season or early in the following year when you think you're going to be competitive but you don't want to have so many that you're choking off your potential to to find guys that could help you sooner than the guys like Julio Rodriguez that I, I agree. I think he's probably up next year. Um, but even if he's up next year, it doesn't mean he's really contributing to your team next year. Um, there's so many of these guys, they come up and it takes a year or two before they're really worth, um, worth it to plug into your lineup every day. Um, I, I, I think hilariously, uh, Julio Rodriguez might've been the worst possible example of that kind of player that I was trying to get at just because it's Justin and Chad that I'm talking to who are both like early in on Julio Rodriguez, right? Like, um, but there is a type of player that um, Julio Rodriguez is a a bad example of. And I'm, um, Chad, I'll just say it this way. I don't want to out somebody in our league, but there is a person in our league who constantly starts auctions for low A um, to low double A players, uh, like young double A players and low a players and those are definitely all players that he's trying to snag for a dollar hoping has uh trade value this year or next year right and that that's sort of the example i was getting at julio rodriguez is not that player uh who was the we just had an auction i think for a angels double a yeah so like i mean is that a trade a trade bullet for you or is that a player that or does every trade bullet have to have some inherent value or how do you think about that? I, so I, I guess for me, I'm not, I'm never going to buy a guy purely because of trade value. Because at an auction, even an in-season auction, uh, if the guy really has that much trade value, he has that much auction value, and he's going to be expensive anyway. So all I'm really looking to do in terms of those, those dead roster spots we talked about at the beginning of this conversation is I want to buy appreciating assets. I want to buy players who I think are prospects who I think are going to be worth more tomorrow than they are today. And so, like, to me, Shaw fits that bill. I think he's a bad comparison for Rodriguez because you're right. If Rodriguez keeps doing what he's been doing, he is way more valuable than Shaw. But that's right. not because he's a prospect and Shaw's old. It's because he's potentially a much better player than Shaw right. was ever capable of. He's, like, of actual being. good baseball player. Right, right, right. Like so, But if you, like look at, like, or if you look further down the list and look at, like uh, – Look at Cabrian Hayes. I think he might be a better example. So he should be up relatively soon. He's sort of a mid to the bottom half of the top 100s kind of prospect. He's a good hitter, potentially. Um, Do I think that he's going to be a whole lot better? Like, he could be Travis Shaw. Travis Shaw, like, the good version of Travis Shaw would be a good outcome for Cabrian Hayes. Um, And those, to me, right now, Hayes is younger. uh, But other than that, I don't see a huge difference between them. You don't see a need Hayes... to invest in that player, right? Like you right. say, you're you're getting tri- you're getting that upside right now. That that's right, and and I think in some cases a guy like Hayes is pro- might be valued higher than Shaw. Like I bet if I tried to trade Shaw for Hayes right now, I couldn't. 
And it's not because I think Hayes is actually more valuable. It's because I think the prospect hype makes him seem more valuable because he's young and exciting and might be the next big thing. And I think he's just unproven Travis Shaw. Right. And I think I think you sort of nailed it, though. I think that prospect hype, if you can find that dynamic, I guess the way I'd make it generalized, you know, sort of a, an advice thing. If you can find the dynamic in your league where there is that prospect hype, that is a great place for you um, to find like very specific kinds of players that you can play uh, as essentially trade bait, you know. Um, and I think the way you think about it is exactly what Chad said is you is this person like what is this person's actual outcome let me be reasonable in my head about what I can get for them uh, given that and then you might find yourself being able to get some pretty interesting pieces back especially if you're in the kind of league where you have um, guys who are in our league who um, you know are prospect towns um, to, to answer the question sort of succinctly for for me personally um, the way I structure, I, I've had a post on this in the past on Rotographs about the the number of players per position that I want to own, and usually what that ends up with is I end up with about 36 players sort of earmarked out of my 40, which leaves me four for what I would consider um, prospects or other sort of speculative roster spots. Um, like Chad had mentioned, that sort of those dead roster spots. So I, I would say normally four on a competitive roster. Um, if I'm not competitive and I really am um, putting myself out of contention for that season, I might go to seven or eight. But I, I very rarely go more than that just because the other thing you have to keep in mind is you still, you do, per the, per the rules, you do need to still have um, a lineup filled out. Um, so you don't want to own 20. Um, but I think eight is enough that you can speculate on a number of guys but still have the ability to, to fill out a lineup. Um, and then take some chances on on some of the major league guys. So um, let's let's move on to the next question. The next question was um, from Saber Magician on the Auto News Slack. Um, now his question specifically was, which players gain the most value in the Fangraphs points format versus the five by five? In other words, which players are worth more in Fangraphs points than they are in five by five? I, I want to real quick, I'll answer this and then, and then open the floor to you guys. Um, I looked at this, the surplus cal- calculator dollar values for the two formats. Um, I looked at it. I, in fact, I updated those values today um, for my patrons. And the, the players that tend to have um, the biggest differences, the players that are worth more in Fangraphs points are, number one, it's, it's mostly the studs. Because as we talked about in the first episode, um, we were talking about the pitcher list auction that was a five by five league. It's my opinion that the very high end um, players in five by five just aren't worth as much as they are in any other format, especially in Fangraph points. Um, Mike Trout, for example, I've got him as a seventy seventy one dollar value in Fangraphs points. My five by five value as of today for Mike Trout is forty nine dollars. So there's a big difference there right off the bat. Um, so the shape of the, the, the overall values between the two formats is different. So that causes a change where a lot of the studs are going to be worth more in points than they are in 5x5 five five just for that reason. Um, but, Chad, you noticed another interesting thing um, when, we, when I had this list put together. Why don't you talk about what you noticed between the, the difference between the two? Yeah, so when, when I looked at the list, because I, I did, I jumped right in and looked at the same list you're looking at, and uh, the guys who jump out at the top are Bregman, Trout, Correa, Soto, Judge, Ketel Marte um, are the top few. As you go down the list, uh, Otani shows up, but then you get Sander Bogarts, Corey Seager, Bellinger, Gallo, Jordan Alvarez. Like The thing that I noticed was you have to go about 15, 20 down the list before you get to anybody who isn't an outfielder or a shortstop, with the exception of Otani, who's sort of a unique case, and so I tend to ignore him for this kind of stuff. Um, and I think the reason for that is... In 5x5, five five, you, you bump up value of uh, slap-hitting speed guys who have value in average that doesn't really matter a ton or doesn't matter as much, I guess I would say, in points, and who get a lot of value from stolen bases, which don't matter at all in points, or again, not maybe that's not accurate. They don't matter very much in points, even less than average does. Um, and the 
the result of that is those players tend to be concentrated in like in center field in sh- at shortstop um, in lesser cases, sort of at second base, but in those defense first positions. And so you end up with, with those positions having a meaningfully lower replacement level in points than they do in five by five. So in five by five, if you don't get a Bregman or a Correa or, or one of those other elite shortstops, um, you basically have choices to go down and say, all right, well, I'm just going to add Elvis Andrews. I'm going to add um, Alberto Mondesi. Like, they're not super valuable in points, but because they don't do much, but they run. And so in 5x5, five five, they still have value. Um, a guy like Jonathan Villar, who's a pretty decent hitter, is a $7 points player and a $17 5 by 5 player. And so you make, or uh, sorry, set, yeah, seventeen dollars five by five player. So you're bringing down the replacement level for those positions so much that it creates more room at the top for those peak guys to have more value. And so I think you do see, Justin, as you were saying, the the top players are just more valuable because you have a steeper value curve in general. Um, and but then I think you also see a a significant hit to shortstop and outfield and the depth at those positions that results to the top guys being more valuable. Yeah, and, and, and just to, to follow up on that a little bit, if we're looking at the, the opposite of the guys that um, are, are more valuable in 5x5 five five than they are in points, um, Chad already mentioned a couple of them, but we're looking at uh, Victor Robles, who I've got at $5 in points and $25 in 5x5. Five five. Um, Adalberto Mondesi, again, uh, also $5 in, in Fangraphs points and $25 in 5x5. Five five. You've got Malik Smith, um, Louis Robert, Starling Marte, Oscar Mercado, Whit Merrifield, uh, Elvis Andrus, Byron Buxton, and Tim Anderson. So you're looking at a lot of those um, those speedsters that get a lot of their value from stolen bases or um, some of the like the runs and and batting average um, stats that that don't play up in in points. And because points is it's all linear weights. It's it's focused on what they're doing in weighted on base average. And the guys that get more of their value from um, on base those are also the types of guys that are going to have more value in the points formats than they will in five by five. Um, one of the guys that stood out to me for, as an example of that is Joey Gallo. Um, Joey Gallo, he doesn't get hit. Uh, he doesn't, he doesn't get dinged for having the low average high strikeout profile that he, that he has um, that hurts him in five by five because he's going to run such a low average and he doesn't get any intrinsic benefit for his high on base in five by five, but he does in Fangraph's points because that contributes to um, his weighted on base. Um, so those sorts of the guys that walk a lot without the corresponding speed, um, sort of the old player skills, um, if you want to put it that way, those guys in general are valued more in Fangraph's points than they otherwise would be in in five by five. And I think that's also that that also plays into why those the the value curve is steeper and the the most expensive players are so much more expensive in points is in five by five you have you have more ways to get value right and so you have a bunch of guys who in uh five by five have value because they bring something specific to the table that you that doesn't matter as much in in points whereas in points leagues uh, you basically have one way of getting value, right? Which is increase your weighted on base. <laughs> and if you're doing that, then you're getting more points. And so you end up with more of a direct comparison player to player where it's it's not as easy to say, yeah, these 20 guys are all maybe valuable at shortstop because this guy's better has better power and this guy's better speed and this guy's got a higher average and this guy's leading off so he's going to score more runs. In, in points, it's going to come down to this guy is a higher weighted on base and gets more plate appearances. Therefore, he's more valuable, period. And so it's, it's, you get much easier to figure out who's valuable and who's not, and that results in that steeper curve. The only thing I want to add to that, like just real quickly, is that um, one thing that's notable on that list that Justin put together, obviously, is a pretty easy answer for us because Justin did uh, most of the legwork with surplus calculator this whole time. But... Uh, a lot of the relievers, uh, you know, a lot of people think five by five and immediately go to st- saves and stolen bases as the stats that you don't really want to care about that much. And a lot of the relievers, there isn't a big delta. Like there's definitely some relievers that have more value in five by five uh, than they do in points, but um, they're not 
down at the extremes of this list of um, the most differences between five by five and points. I thought that was just noteworthy because I know there are there is uh, the leveraged uh, pitching situations are given points in points leagues, but a lot of times people uh, when they play five by five like there are these steals and save centered uh, strategies. And the fact that saves don't create a big delta there, I thought was just noteworthy. Yeah, I hadn't picked up on that, but that that, that is a really good point. I think that you do see a small delta with the 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 setup type guys that they they don't have as much value in five by five. Speaking right. of like a Karinchak or uh, um, there was another guy I had I was just staring at, but um, you know those types of guys because holds are uh, you do get points for holds in the points leagues. Um, I think those types of, of players, they do have a higher delta in, in points versus five by five, but it's just so small. Like Krinchak's worth three or $4 more in points than he would be in five by five. So they don't show up near the top of the list just because the difference isn't that large, but you do have a situation where some of those setup guys um, have more value in points leagues than they do in five by five. But yeah, you're right. Like the closers, you, there's not that much of a difference. You see a big chunk in the, in like three and a half to $4 difference there, like uh, yeah. more valuable on the five by five side. But then if you look at like a guy like Hader, you know, Hader was actually one that I just saw on this list that I thought was pretty interesting because well, I'm going to pull it up real quick. His delta is only two and a half bucks. And like, you know, he fits that mold of like a setup dude. Like he gets, obviously gets saves, gets all kinds of um, opportunities in different kinds of scenarios for the Brewers. But um, he's one of those guys that, you, you know, he, it's sort of surprising to me that there's not, um, that the direction that the delta goes and that it's not uh, so large there. All right, uh, let's move on to our next question. This is probably going to be our last question of the evening, um, and I think we can definitely spend a lot of time talking about this, but we'll try to keep it relatively brief. Um, at Pittsburgh on the Auto News Slack had a question about, this is a question that I've been asked and somewhat answered before, um, what is the value that you guys place on a roster spot? Um, do you have some sort of number in mind that you place an intrinsic or um, – you know, specific dollar value for having an open spot or gaining a, a spot in, in terms of a trade that's like a two for one. Um, and Chad, I don't know if you've got an answer to this question. Like, do you have a, an, an amount in your mind that, that you think a dollar uh, that a roster spot is worth? Yeah, you know, I think uh, it depends a little bit on how you are defining a roster spot, right? So um, if I'm talking about adding a roster spot if it was like what what would be the value if i could have 41 roster spots instead of 40 um that might be relatively high if you're talking about like the value of leaving a roster spot open um i think it's worth a dollar and the reason i think it's worth a dollar is because at any given time i almost assuredly have a player on my team who is worth one dollar who cost me one dollar who i could cut and i would get a roster spot and the cost of getting that roster spot would be a one dollar cap penalty so in, in my mind, if I can effectively buy a $1, if I can for $1 buy a roster spot on the open market, which is basically what I can do, I think, um, then the roster spot's worth a dollar. And I, I like that's just, to me, how I would, how I value it and how I think about it. Did you, um, Niv, I don't know if you have like a, uh, and a dollar range in mind um, if it's something that you consider when yeah. you're making moves or well I think you know I think Chad sort of nailed it and I think you know we, we had a pretty nice discussion about this in Slack today and um, I thought you know a lot of interesting points were made all around um, obviously like there's a ton of dynamics to this question right um, your league may have really valuable players available in the auction pool or sorry in the free agent pool that you can put up a 48 hour auction your league may have some really interesting players on the waiver wires on because of a big auction going through or a trade going through or something like that um but chad made the point to me that was kind of the showstopper to this question and uh you know i'll let him follow up on it but he just said it again like because of the structure of auto new because of the way the rules work you don't have to pre-cut you don't have to make a transaction in order to free up a spot to add a player. You can react to the player addition that you made. And so thinking about it in terms of a reaction like that really makes it clear that like you always have the option to cut somebody. And as a result, like is it worth 
um, money in your cap to keep a roster spot available? Like, not really, because you always have the option to cut someone, and this that's the way the game works, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's right, and I think the the, the real interesting question in this is, like, what does it matter? Because you can't actually buy a roster spot, so, like, what does it actually matter? Where does this come in? And I think there, there's two... There's sort of two relevant areas where this really plays in. One is, um, how do you think about guys who have multiple position eligibility, right? And if you've got a guy who, like, if you're, if you're an owner and I'm one of these owners, I want to own a starting second baseman, a starting shortstop, a middle infielder, and a backup for each position. Um, and so I typically own five middle infielders. But if I've got multiple of those guys who are both shortstop and second base eligible, um, I've effectively gotten myself an extra roster spot because I can live with four of them then because I have a little bit more flex and I don't necessarily need a fifth. Um, and so there's this immediate, like, how much would I bump up the value of, if I'm looking at, I need a shortstop and a second baseman, I've got a guy who plays both, how much more valuable is he than a guy who only plays one or the other? The answer for me is I'd bump him up by about a dollar. Um and then the other one of this is, should you leave a roster spot open? Which in general, I think no, but I'm sure we can talk more about that. Yeah, I don't know what the answer is to that question. I don't know if there is a ton of reason to do that. Uh, I'm, Justin, I'm interested in your take on this because I know you've done a little bit of, um, you've you've done some real thinking on this problem, right? So. Yeah, and, and I think I, I, I've approached this from a somewhat um, different avenue than, than you guys and the, the arguments that you've brought up already. Um, for me, it's, it's more a question of what is the opportunity cost of owning a given player and using a roster spot to own that player. Um, for me, I'm like, I'm more focused on what that means going into an auction. Um, my objective in every auction, whether it's a first year auction or a returning auction is to get to a point where I have a certain amount of money on my roster and that money is a dollar value based on my my values that I believe correlates to how strong my team is and how well they're going to perform during that year which is the whole point of having a dollar value is to say this guy's Trout's a $70 guy and and I think that that's the value he's going to provide um, there's two points that I that I usually focus in number one I don't want to own $400 worth of players on my roster. When I'm spending $400, I don't want $400 worth of value. Because if I own $400 worth of value, my team, I would consider that to be an average team. Because on average, everybody's going to have about $400 worth of value on their team. I want to have something more than that. I want to have, usually, I'm targeting like $450 or $460 at a minimum of value that I want to have. Given that I have 40 roster spots... That means that every roster spot I have, I want to have usually about $2 worth of surplus per roster spot. That gets me up to $480 if I'm successful in doing that. And if I get to $480, I believe I have a competitive team. So right off the bat, I don't want to own anybody that I don't think is going to generate about $2 of surplus. Um, now that... Sometimes a stud, I want to own Trout for 70 and maybe I try to make up that $2 I didn't save on him somewhere else. And that definitely can happen. But in general, across 40 spots, I want to try to generate $80 in total surplus, about $2 per spot. Given that, I don't want to own any player that I'm spending a dollar on that I think is only worth $2. Because I think I should be able to spend a dollar on a player and get at least a $3 player. So to me, that means that intrinsically I'm valuing every roster spot at about $2 because I don't want to own anybody that doesn't have at least that $2 difference. So I feel that I'm losing value if I own a dollar guy that I paid a dollar for. The other factor for me is when you look at in-season free agency or let's say right after your auction is over or at any point earlier, early in the year, I always think that there's somebody that's available in free agent that is free agency that is worth at least three or four dollars on on my dollar values. So I never want to own guys that I think are actually only worth a dollar or two because I think they're available during the season, guys that are better than that. And I also want to get more surplus per roster spot than a one or two dollar player is going to provide for me. So 
that's where I sort of started down the path of saying I want to have, I'm valuing each particular roster spot at about $2. And that's sort of the rule of thumb that I've used specifically because of those two reasons. Um, I don't think that there's any intrinsic, there's any specific value that you always want to make an adjustment for, for the guys that are like multi-position eligible. I think you use it as a tiebreaker. I think it also, depending on your roster construction, if you really don't have depth at a lot of positions, get, spending an extra dollar or two on a multi-position eligible player can make a lot of sense. Um, but I don't make any sort of explicit adjustment to my values for a guy that has shortstop, second base, and outfield eligibility, for example. So I, I think the the challenge I have with the, the $2 thing is, even if I agree with you, and I generally agree with you, like if I'm owning a $1 guy, it's because I believe that he could be worth four or five, something like that, right? Um, but it doesn't change the value of the roster spot. It doesn't change the fact that if I want to get that roster spot back, I can cut that $1 guy because there's some like there's some other guy out there who's worth $4 instead of the $3 I think this guy's worth, and I'm going to go try to get him for a dollar instead. Like I, It's a $1 cap penalty. The price I pay to open up that roster spot is $1. So I... I, I hear what you're saying. Like, I, I agree if you're not trying to get surplus on a even a $1 guy, like, you're not you're not going to be as competitive as you otherwise could be. Um, but I just don't agree that that, has, that changes the value of the dollar or the value of the spot. The, the spot still right. costs the idea is that you can The idea is that you can get that spot freed up and the worst it costs you is a $1 cap spot. Um, it doesn't, it does not, I think, right. It's sort of a different question almost is that what you guys are saying is, is in team construction, you certainly should not be taking dollar players who are true dollar players. Uh, the player pool is just too deep for that, right? Like we talked a little bit about the value you can get from prospects, the value you can find in trade assets, the value you can find in players like Travis Shaw, like the player pool is just too deep to be spending $1 on a true $1 player, like a player who gives true $1 production. I think that's a really fair point. But at the end of the day, if you can free that roster spot up and only have to pay the $1 cap penalty for it, like, like, what are we, like, what are we talking about? Like you can't spend that dollar to actually get a 41st roster spot. So like what we're really talking about here is like, what are you holding out for? Right. Or sorry. I mean, I, I, is that right? I, mean, I think that's right. And I think, I think we're, we're, a lot of this actually gets more complex or potentially gets more complex is when you start to factor in unique team situations. And, and the biggest thing there is the amount of cap space you have. And, and so we got into this debate in Slack today about what if you, you know, would you keep a spot open? And, and I think for me, if you've got, let's say you have $3 in cap space and your choice is pick up a true $1 guy or wait to see if somebody better comes along who's actually worth $3 that you can get for $1, you should probably wait. Because you only have $3 in cap space and burning a dollar of that $3, um, it's not that it's suddenly worth more than a dollar. It's just that dollar has more immediate value to you because um, of the scarcity, right? I mean, this is this is no different than the fact that like a dollar means less to a billionaire than it does to a homeless person, right? Like the, the less you have, the more you value that dollar. Um, I think that if you have, you know, 40, 50 bucks in cap room, should you leave that spot open? No. There's no reason to go out, get the $1 guy who you think is most likely to be a $5 guy or turn into a $10 guy or who fills a need you have right now today. And the second something better comes along, cut him and add the other guy and you'll, you'll lose that dollar to a cap, to a cap penalty, but you can still open up the spot and get the guy you want. I think, I think those are very reasonable arguments, um, Chad, especially the, the part about, it, it depends on how much cap space you have. Um, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, I know that in situations where I'm up against uh, the salary cap, I'm, I, I do have a completely different view on having an open spot than I would if I had, as you said, $50 free. Um, and, and when I brought up the way that I've approached this, it was, I want to be very clear. It's not, I don't even have very good confidence in that. There are a lot of things that I can be, I can have some level of confidence and, and I think this is the right way or I can make an argument. I, this was just the path my mind took me on on how I wanted to sort of 
earmark a, a value. And for me, it was it was driven mostly by the opportunity cost of what I'm giving up. And and you're right, you're you're you are you only have a dollar cap penalty. So if you want to say that the roster spot is worth a dollar, I, I completely understand that argument. Um, I just approached it from a slightly different way, and I don't have a, a hundred well super amount of confidence in in that approach. Um, but I'm sure we could probably spend. Uh, quite a bit more time sort of going back and forth and, and, and debating this topic. Um, but I think we'll, we'll leave it there for now. Um, we had a couple questions that we didn't get a chance to talk about tonight. Um, anything that we, we don't get to, we will get to the next time we do a, a question and answer session. Um, we, we've talked about this. We think maybe we'll do these about once a month where every, every fourth episode we'll do um, a Q and a uh, episode. So, if you have questions for us, you can you can find any of us on on Twitter, on the Auto New Slack, on the community page. Um, feel free to reach out using any of those methods if you have any questions of uh, that you want us to discuss on the on the podcast. So, um, thank you again for everybody that's that's been sticking with us and listening to these episodes. Um, we only do it because we think somebody wants to hear what we have to say. So it's nice to know that those of you that are listening um, do enjoy uh, the content that we're providing. If you have any suggestions feel free to reach out and let us know. So uh, for that, thank you for listening and have a good night.